0: May I have a word of prayer? Lord, we do thank you for the principles we've been learning over past weeks. Lord, we think of the principle we learned a couple weeks ago. The fact that we are complete in Christ. Lord, everything we need for life and godliness is found in him. Lord, you have not left us on our own, you have left, not left us lacking anything, but we have everything that we will ever need, spiritually speaking. And yet, Lord, we, I think we all struggle, we all have our areas in which we feel that we are lacking, and yet, Lord, as we're going to see today, it's not because of lack of provision, but because of lack of appropriation. At times we have not yet appropriated that which is ours. Maybe it's because we don't know what we have. Or we just fail to believe it. But Lord, we just pray that uh, as we get into this chapter that you will use it just in each of our hearts and lives. So Lord, we just want to commit this time now to you. Thanking you that we have your Holy Spirit within us to teach us. We pray that he would open each of our eyes to the truths you have prepared each of us to learn. For it's in the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, we're going to be in chapter 7 today. Uh, Another principle of spiritual growth. A uh, very significant one. uh, That of appropriation. And it's going to be tied very closely to what we uh, learned in our two previous sessions where we talked about our completeness in Christ. Um, as Paul tells us, in Christ dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily and ye are complete or made full in him. Uh, you know, Peter tells us that we have been given everything necessary for life and godliness, that God has even shared his divine nature with us by implanting his Holy Spirit in us. In Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he tells us we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. When it comes to our Christian life and our our struggles, it's never an issue of lack of provision. We're going to see, as we go on, it's an issue of lack of appropriation. And so we want to deal with that today. You know, Thomas is, uh, in, is doing a series right now on standing fast. And some years ago, when, I, when we were in Ireland, I was asked to fill the pulpit of a, a little small church. And I spoke on the Ephesians 6 passage, the Christian armor you know, and I made this statement. I said, militarily, the command to stand fast is given when you hold the high ground. You stand fast when you stand on the most strategic place. Otherwise, you move forward. You stand fast. Afterwards, a fellow came up to me and he introduced himself to me as a high-ranking officer in the Irish Army. And you kind of get nervous whether when you've been talking about military strategy and a high-ranking officer comes up to you. But he says, what you said is absolutely true. If we give the command to stand fast, it's because they are on the strategic ground. The whole... Battle of Gettysburg was won because Chamberlain and a small group of troops got there early and stationed themselves on a piece of high ground and they never gave it up. They held the high ground through that whole battle and it is historically known that basically Gettysburg was won because that one group of men did not give up the high ground You and I hold the high ground. We are in Christ. Our lives are completely linked with Him. Our new life, you know, our new nature, our new man is in Christ. And, you know, in Him we are complete. In Him we lack nothing that we will ever need spiritually. It's all there. When we come into the Lord's presence one day in the future, and for some of us that's closer than others, but when we come into His presence, we are not going to suddenly be given all this that we were lacking. What we are going to do is we will finally discover what we've had all along, what has been ours since day one of salvation. And throughout eternity, we will be utilizing that which is already ours in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when, uh, in 1 John, John talks about that. When we, you know, when uh, Christ returns, we shall be like him. For we will see him as he is. He doesn't say... That when Christ returns, we'll finally be given everything we've been lacking. And so now, because we finally have the provision, we'll be like Him. No. We will look on Him, and we will see what has always been ours. And we will begin to fully utilize it. Fully appropriate it. So... Today we're on this chapter in appropriation, and again, I'll throw a, uh, some of the statements up on the PowerPoint that I think are important for us to think about. There's really very little in the chapter that's not important. I end up putting a lot up on PowerPoint. Um, if that's distracting, just don't just ignore it and look at your book or whatever. But. Uh, uh, you know, I I want us to come to understand this important principle. Now, he opens the chapter, he says, Here is an important subject that has to do with faith. Again, our first chapter was on faith. And really understanding what faith is. Not how the world defines faith. The world defines faith as something that you believe real hard on which there is no real evidence. It's just you know a real strong wish. It's the way we'd like things to be and so we're going to believe real hard and hope it makes it happen. That's not biblical faith. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing the statements of God. Faith is based on facts. Is based on the facts of what God has stated. It's not facts that you and I can empirically verify. It's based on facts that we put our confidence in what God has said. An appropriation, he says... Is a subject that has to do with faith. We are complete in Christ. But we have to take God at his word. Regarding that. And why would we do that? Because through the pages of scripture. And through the course of history God has proven himself to be truthful he has proven himself to be a 100% reliable witness that when he says something it is accurate sin entered the picture back in the garden of Eden because Adam and Eve didn't believe that God told him, don't eat of the fruit. Told him, you will surely die. Satan tells him, basically, not in so many words, but implies, God's a liar. You can't believe him. He's selfish. He's trying to withhold from you. He knows that if you eat of this fruit, you're going to be like him, and he doesn't want you to be like him. And so rather than put their confidence in the statements of God, they believed Satan. And they believed their own senses. The fruit looked good. It sounded good. And so they ate it. And from that day forward, God has been demonstrating how wrong they were. That he is a reliable source of information. What he says is true. And as Peter points out. He has even shared his divine nature with us. He's not withholding anything good from us. He's not a selfish God. He's an incredibly generous God. And he's training us to do the opposite of what Adam and Eve did. He's training us to become men and women who take him at his word. And as we do so, we reap the benefit. So here, he says, is an important subject that has to do with faith. Taking God at his word. And the practical... Reception of that which we are able, uh, for which we are able to trust Him. So that has to do with faith and how, by faith, we practically take hold of these things, these things that He promises to us, that we can trust Him regarding. Now he says, appropriation does not necessarily mean to gain something new, but to set aside for our practical possession something that already belongs to us. So in this chapter, we are not going to be talking about gaining anything new. We're going to be talking about How we take hold of that which is already ours. We are complete in Christ. We have been blessed with every spiritual blessings in the heavenlies. So how do we take hold of those provisions? How do we bring them into our day-to-day life? where they make a difference in our walk he says to appropriate something for our daily walk in Christ we face two essentials one is to see what is already ours in Christ and the reason a lot of Christians are struggling today they Are failing in their Christian walk in many different areas. It's because they have no clue who they are and what they have in Christ. That's oftentimes reflected in people's prayers Lord, give me victory, Lord, give me strength. Lord, you know, you know uh, set me free. All those prayers are reflecting a lack of knowledge, either a lack of knowledge or a lack of faith. And the fact that we stand on the ground of Christ's victory. In Christ we live in the realm of His freedom. As we live in union with him, we have at our disposal the very power of the resurrection. These are things that are ours in Christ. And so, first, we have to know it. And that involves getting into the word and learning. And particularly Particularly getting into those sections of the word that tell us as those in Christ who we are and what we have. Now, this entire book was given to us by the Lord for our learning. And it all has value. It's everything in it is for us but not everything in it is to us and that's an important distinction. There are a lot of people who build a lot of their view of the Christian life on things God said to Israel in the Old Testament. And Christ, I mean, God was dealing with Israel under the Mosaic Covenant. Under the Mosaic Covenant, they were promised that God would bless them. And a lot of the blessings he promised were uh, material and physical blessings. If they kept his law, he also promised them he would curse them if they didn't. And that's why Paul, in his letter to the Colossians, says basically that the law became a curse. Because they couldn't keep it. The blessings were basically moot. Because if you can't keep the law, the blessings mean nothing. All they could do was reap the curse of the law. But a lot of Christians go back and they look at the Old Testament and they they say, well, if we'll do this, God will bless us. Rather than realizing we have been blessed, spiritually speaking, with every blessing in the heavenlies already. It's in God's letters to the church. Starting in Romans going through Jude send God's letters to his church that he tells us who we are and what we have in Christ and it's in those areas that we build our understanding of the Christian life now I'm not saying the Old Testament is not important I guarantee you the Old Testament will tell you a whole lot about the old man It'll tell you a whole lot about the fleshly nature. And it's uh, incapacity when it comes to to living up to God's standards. You can learn a whole lot about human nature from the Old Testament. You also can learn a whole lot about God. My challenge to my students oftentimes was as you go through the Old Testament, look at God. (laughs) Get to know him. Look at, at what he's doing and how he's working. But when it comes to the Christian life, you aren't going to find that in the Old Testament. That started on the day of Pentecost. With the coming of the Holy Spirit. It's based on the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ whereby he not only died for our sins, but as we'll see in a future chapter, we died with him in God's sight, judicially. Which makes possible a lot of provision that the Old Testament saint never had. So the first essential of appropriation is to see what is already ours in Christ. The second one... He says, is to be aware of our need of it. You know, we may know what scripture says is ours, but if we don't see our need of it, we aren't really going to appropriate it. We need to see our need of it. And he says, on these two factors rests the ability uh, to appropriate. To reach out in steadfast faith and receive what belongs to us in our Lord Jesus Christ. So as we see what is already ours in Christ, as we come to see our need of it, we begin to by faith reach out. And say, Lord, I want to begin to experience that which is mine in this area. I see my need of your provision. I thank you that you've made that provision. But I want to experience it in my day-to-day life. Now, regarding the first essential, to see what is already ours. Here's what William R. Newell wrote. He says, Paul does not ask a thing of the saints in the first three chapters of Ephesians, but just to listen while he proclaims that wondrous series of great and eternal facts concerning them. And not until he has complete to this uh, catalog of realities about them, does he ask them to do anything at all? Now, in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, 32 times he tells them what is true of them in Christ. In the New Testament, it's over 100 times that we're told what's true of us in Christ. But in Ephesians... (laughs) You know, if you have about a hundred times in the whole New Testament, almost a third of them appear in Ephesians. He says that this is what's true of you in Christ. This is what's true of you in Christ. This is what's true of you in Christ. And Newell points out that in the first three chapters, the emphasis is not on us doing anything. It's about us becoming aware of who we are and what we have in Christ. And that's not not only Paul's pattern in Ephesians, it's it's his pattern in most of his epistles. In the book of Romans, it's not until Romans 11... (laughs) That Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable act of service. There's been ten chapters of Paul telling us how God took us from being hell-deserving sinners... And how he redeemed us, and how he sanctified us, and as he, how he chose us as his the vessels through which he is currently working. And it's only after he has demonstrated so clearly what God has already done for us that there is a call on us to respond. Yet. Far too often there's a skipping over the first ten chapters and let's just jump in there. God wants you to give yourself to him. It's your reasonable act of service. Why is it reasonable? You don't see the reasonable nature of it until you consider the first ten chapters of Romans. And in Ephesians, you know, people say, I want to see the practical part. I want to see what I'm supposed to be doing. And so they jump over in that part, neglecting an understanding of what God has provided. Paul had the proper order. Show us who we are. Show us what we have. And then challenge us to appropriate those things, to live on the basis of it. See, Newell goes on to say, um, and when he does open his plea for their high walk as saints, not as saved sinners, but as saints. Everything is based on the revelation before given. The facts of their high character and destiny as saints. He says, I therefore beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you were called. He says, I'm calling you to live up to who you are. And so he says let us cease from laying down to the saints long lists of conditions of entering into the blessed life in Christ and instead as primal preparation for leading them into the experience of this life show them what their position, possessions and privileges in Christ already are. So what we need to do is quit laying down this list of conditions of what people need to do And let's show them who they are. Let's show them what they have. Again, we've shared before, you know, when we were in Ireland, some of the first ones we met with were very disheartened believers. They had been told what to do. You need to do this, and you need to do that, and you need to not do this. And, you know, this long list, and and just total despair... Again, one said, look, I know I'm going to heaven when I die, but I'm just ready to walk away totally from the Christian life. And to be able to say, look, you're at a good place. You've learned what you can't do now. Are you willing to get to know Christ and come to know uh, all that he has done for you and is doing? To say, yeah, I'm I'm willing to do that. I'm willing to focus on And as they began to grow in their knowledge of who they are and what they have in Christ, it began to change their life. See, we make the mistake of thinking that if I can make this do the right thing, then I'll become this. If I can make my old man look right, then he'll be the new man. No, he won't. He'll be a hypocrite. And what are a lot of Christians accused of? Hypocrisy. People can see a real thing. They can see if we're just faking it. No doubt nowadays they make artificial flowers and artificial fruit look re- pretty real. but smell an artificial flower it won't smell real, and I guarantee you you bite into a wax apple and you 'll know it. You can tell the difference between what's real and what's fake and god 's way is not to start on the outside. And work it to the inside. His way is to start on the inside with who we are in Christ and cause that to flow outward as we appropriate His provisions. He works from the inside out. And that starts with us not focusing on what we should be doing. But, focusing on who we are and what we have in Christ, we start on that in that direction, and it will change you. I teach this with passion because i 've seen how many lives have been changed by it over the years. I believed it to begin with, but it 's been reinforced in my thinking by seeing the way God has worked in people's lives and the changes he's, he's wrought. So, you know, we don't start externally, we start internally with showing believers who they are and what they have in Christ. And he says, thus we shall truly work with the Holy Spirit. Why? Because this is what the Spirit is doing. You know, in the upper room, as Christ met with his disciples and he told them that he was soon going to be leaving. And he told them that, you know, at, on, uh, in response to his request, that the Father was going to send the Holy Spirit. And what did he say the Holy Spirit would do? He says, when he is, has come, he will take that which is mine and make it known unto you. He didn't say, when the Holy Spirit comes, he'll show you how to do the right things. No, he said, he's going to take that which is mine. And he's going to show it unto you. His work is to promote Christ in our lives. And if we want to be cooperating with the Holy Spirit... That's what we need to be doing. We need to be promoting Christ in people's lives. Not getting them sidetracked on, well, if you would just do this and do this and do this and do this. And we get them focused, so focused there that they can't see Christ. Our ministry is to promote Christ. Paul talked about his ministry; that he preached Christ, warning every man, and uh, ex- what it is exhorting everyone, uh, with the goal of seeing everyone made complete in Christ. From the time we went on, out to Ireland onward, Joe and my uh, my goal has been to be, preach Christ. And to see people become complete in Christ. Now they are complete positionally in Christ, but we want to see that lived out in their lives. And so... You know, our desire is to to, uh, work with the Holy Spirit, not against him. And he says, and thus shall we have more and much more abiding fruit of our labors among the people of God. He said, when we take this approach, we're going to have more and much more abiding fruit among the people of God. You know, again, when we were in Ireland, Jo'Nell had another missionary woman say to her one time, she said, you know, I have seen many people come to Christ while I've been here. I have not seen any go on and walk with them. Why are your people continuing to walk with him. And this is, I think, the reason. Because a lot of what was being preached is how to become a child of God and then the emphasis was on get out there and do, do, do. And the result was fail, fail, fail. And become discouraged Again, I had someone very high up in our team over there tell me, he said, you can go all over Ireland and you will find individuals who were once church leaders who don't even go to church anymore. Why? Why? They left out of despair. Because they were not being shown who they are and what they have in Christ. They were being shown how to accept Christ as their Savior, as their substitute, but they were not being taught how to come to embrace Christ as their life, as their all in all. And so they struggled on in their own efforts. You know, it's been a huge encouragement to us. Now, I will say, is better at staying communicated with the Irish than me. But just to see that some of these couples that we spent so much time with are continuing to walk with the Lord. They haven't walked away. They haven't given up. They're continuing on and they're sharing with others. And that's not to our credit it's to the credit of the fact that if you truly show people who they are and what they have in Christ, and they learn these things and they appropriate them, it does make a difference. And you have fruit that endures. Now, not everybody's going to take hold of the truth. Some who even know it will stray, but Joe and I have been blessed to see so many walk on with the Lord and mature and go on to be used by him. Now, he says, once we see what is ours in Christ Jesus, our completeness in him, Practical need will cause us to appropriate, to receive the answer to that need. So he says, once we see these, God is going to basically allow uh, practical need to come into our life. There's going to be things that come along that cause us to see, I need that provision of Christ. He says, as an example from Paul, he says, there was a supply of the spirit of Jesus Christ for Paul. And that made it possible for Christ to be magnified in him. It was a supply that was always available, but only appreciated and appropriated as and when the apostle came to know his need. From day one, you know, when Paul met Christ on the road to Damascus, God provided him with everything, just like he did you and me the day we accepted Christ as our Savior. But he says he only really came to appreciate and appropriate as he came to know his need. And Romans 7 is one of those instances I'm not saying this was the whole ball of wax, this was uh, where he came to appropriate everything, no. But it was a major uh, turning point, I think, for him. Again, Romans 7 is where Paul cries out to the Lord. And he says, the good I want to do, I'm unable to do. And the evil I, I don't want to do, I continually do. Oh, wretched man that I am, who's going to deliver me? And his answer that the Lord gave him was, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. It was that struggle. And with his daily life. Knowing what he wanted uh, to, uh, his, his life to accomplish. and Knowing the things he wanted to avoid. And, and just failing and failing and failing. And in desperation saying, who's going to help me? And discovering the answers in Christ. And over and over again. He, like us, had to learn that. And that's where Paul came to say, Christ who is my life. I think everyone in this room can probably say, Christ is my Savior. But have you come to the point where you can say, Christ is my life? what I am, what I have, what's of value flows from the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, life is meant to bring a succession of discoveries of our need of Christ. God is going to, throughout your time here on earth, be showing you all different areas that you need Christ thankfully he doesn't show you them all at once (coughs) if he showed us every area we needed Christ at once we would despair (laughs) he takes it one step at a time you know it might be an area of my thought life It might be some of my relationships, parent-child relationships, husband-wife relationships. It might be in my job. There's going to be one area after another that God is going to be allowing things to go in such a direction that we begin to say, I need Christ here. I need Christ here. Again, one of my dear friends in Ireland, again, back when he was in the doing phase, he he said, you know, whenever he took a new job, he went in and he was going to evangelize everybody. And within a matter of days, everybody avoided him like the plague. As he grew in his understanding of who he is and what he has in Christ, he, he took a new job and he went in. He said, I didn't go in with any agenda. I just went in. And he said, I've had more people come and sit down with me at lunch and ask me questions, spiritual questions, than I've ever had at any other point in my life. Because they saw something in him that they saw as real, he wasn't perfect. We don't have to be perfect for people to see that there is something real in our lives. And they wanted to talk with him. They wanted answers. But he discovered his need of Christ in the workplace. He saw that when he went in, in his own strength, all he did was turn people off. When he went in with his heart focused on Christ, things were different. So he says, life is meant to bring a a succession of discoveries of our need of Christ. And with every such discovery, the way is open for a new inflow of the supply. As I discover I need Christ in this area of my life, I begin to discover the provision that's there for me. But I see the need first. He says, this is the explanation of so much we cannot otherwise understand. This plunging of us into new tests where only a fresh supply of the Spirit of Jesus will meet our need. He says, this helps us understand why God plunges us into, or allows us to uh, to be plunged into one thing after another. One area of our life gets kind of straightened out and, and we're walking with the Lord and appropriating what's ours in Him. And all of a sudden it shows up in another area. Why? Because God doesn't just want Christ to be seen in a couple of areas of our life. He wants Him to permeate every area of our life. And He will allow us to fail and fail big time in certain areas if that's what's necessary to bring us to that place of saying, I need the provisions Christ has made in this area of my life. I want Christ to be seen here. I know the provisions are there. I believe the provisions are there. But I want them to be seen. Here and now. And he says, as our need is met. And it will be. As we prove the sufficiency of Christ to meet our inward need, which will happen, so there can be a new showing forth of His glory through us. You know, as the need is met, as our lives demonstrate that Christ's provision is sufficient. His glory is seen more and more through us. He is manifested in it. Now we're out of time. We'll break at that place. And we'll pick up there next week. Again, incredibly important chapter. Everyone in this room who has placed their faith in Christ has everything you will ever need for life and godliness. But you need to understand The importance of appropriation. And the how of appropriation. And we'll get more into the how of appropriation. Next week. Let's. (laughs) Okay. Let's close in a word of prayer. Lord we do thank you. Again for our completeness in Christ. Lord may we. Not only come to know and understand. All that we are and have in Christ. May we learn to appropriate it. Lord may his provisions filter into every area of our everyday being and may he increasingly be seen and others be drawn to him may you be glorified through us first in the precious name of Jesus we pray amen